afternoon, good evening. Welcome to today's episode of Musings with Jesus. My name is Shola. I'm your host. Thank you for joining me. I hope you're well. I hope all is good with you in your world. I hope you're great. I hope everything is fine. Yeah, today is the 28th of March. We're almost halfway through. We're almost at the end of the first quarter. And um, today I just want to muse a little bit about um, about God. And, um, yeah, I think I'm getting a leading to go in a particular direction. So, I'm going to read the book of Exodus in the Old Testament, second book in the Old Testament, chapter 34, verse, I think it's verse 6 to 7. And this is where Moses was having that whole sermon on the Mount experience with um, God on Mount Sinai. And he had received the Ten Commandments, and then... Um, he, will, he had brought it down to the people and then found out that those ones are having a rave, <laughs> a golden calf rave, where they had an idolatrous rave. And he got really angry and then he broke the table stones. And then later God called him back to the mount and then gave him a different set of tablets and all that. And then God appeared to him and, and then God then revealed himself to them and he made this very iconic verse and passage, which apparently is the most quoted passage in the bible by the bible i learned this when i in my theology program which is ongoing i have a theology course that i'm attending in seminary um, my lecturer professor gary mentioned this and he said that um, you know and i realized that okay it's actually quoted in full in many places it's quoted in parts in certain places in the new testament i think it doesn't quote it in full but partly but it's he says it's the most quoted passage in the Bible by the Bible. And the Bible does quote itself a lot. Even Jesus, if you notice many times, he would make reference to things that were said by Moses, things that were said by the prophets, you know. And that's how the Bible validates itself. That's why we know that it's credible because Jesus himself quoted the Bible several times. And so that continuity is there between the Old Testament. We know that the New Testament is not does not break away from the Old Testament in that sense. It's a fulfillment of what God had actually designed, which is to be reconciled to man. And so I've been reflecting a lot on all that, you know, even yesterday, if you recall, if you've been listening, um, I had I had mused on anger, being slow to anger. I got it actually from this um, chapter as well, this passage. But I think God wants me to stay here, which is why he's bringing me back here. I had actually intended to muse on something completely different this morning but he's brought me back here and who am i to i don't argue with him when he he does this so i think this is something that he wants me to stay in i am currently in this place where god is working with me inside out and he's talking to me about things in the heart and how i should be and and all of that and i i sort of even though it's uncomfortable but i like the fact that he's doing that because i'm really beginning to see and realize that the outward practice of Christianity is nothing short of hypocrisy. And we actually did a musing on, on that, you know, some days ago because it has become very clear to us that to me, from what I see happening around the things that I see that Christians say publicly and they do without shame, it, it shows me that, you know, there's a lot of hypocrisy in our practice and what we say we believe we do not believe because it seems to be very easy for us to be bitter, to be envious, to be to be angry and to be even violent against people you know for me the um righteousness is is a spe- is like there's a spectrum i mean in terms of the practice of the faith and there are things that are bad and there are things that are evil and there are things that are wicked by the time 
you start moving towards wickedness to other people and evil and violence then you've really gone far you know what i'm saying you know it's no longer a case of oh i had an evil thought or oh, i'm struggling with sin or you know i like women or i saw that girl and i lost it after her or i saw that man and i lost it after him you are, you are in another zone at that point you know what i'm saying it's it's really it's getting quite serious for me personally i don't know if scripture makes that difference because god you know generally classifies things you know but i i i i make it a, a difference between um sin that is against the flesh and like the bible says that he that um commits adultery or fornication sins against his own body that is a very very grievous sin but it's a sin that the repercussion on it is on yourself but when you sin against the lord and against other people for me there's a big you know because at that point there is something very very evil going on that doesn't just want to destroy my own life but is now using me to destroy the lives of others so i put it in when i see that kind of thing even if it's in my own life i put it in a different categorically ethically because i realize then that because what the devil wants to do you know it's like the difference between you and i when we are are as christians god wants to come into our life to change us and then use our lives to change others for most of us we're still very much in that god is transforming his place we are not yet vessels of honor that god is using to bless other people's lives when we get to that level it is a higher place of manifestation of god's glory and that's where god wants all of us to be which is why he says let your light so shine that you you know that men will see your good fruits and give glory to god your good works and give glory to god that is in heaven so god's intention as we can see from matthew 5 16 which is the verse i just quoted as well as um, matthew 28 when he says go into all the world and preach the gospel and teach them to observe what he's saying is go and transform the nations you know don't let this christianity just stay with you and yourself change the nations for me so jesus very much believes in a train the trainer kind of thing whereby you are changed as you are changed you are changing other people but for many of us we're still very much in that bless me christianity well well we're babes you know we're still very much in that space where we think that it is just about us we don't realize that we are we are saved to save others and you know there's there's the reason why god doesn't rapture us immediately when we get saved is because he has a plan for us to save other people as well but when we do get to that point where we realize it like the apostles did and we're living that life in that way it's a higher expression of our faith it's a higher expression of our walk with god and when god is now able to work through us and manifest his greatness and his power it's definitely clearly a higher piece of expression in the same way it is one thing for the devil to be in control of one person's life or to be influencing somebody's life but once he gets to this space where the devil is now using that life to negatively to steal to kill and to destroy other lives that is also another level of manifestation it is another level so normally you would expect that that should only be happening in the lives of unbelievers people who are sinners people who have unregenerate personalities so i'm talking of people who steal from public funds people who steal from other people people who kill other people people who destroy other people either physically spiritually emotionally you would expect that all you know this kind of behaviors will not be found in christians but these days we find it in people who self-profess self-identify and are very much in the circle of faith as christians so when i see that kind of contrary um 
behavior and manifestation. It tells me that there's something going on. And if it's happening and the church is not even recognizing or taking action, in fact, if the church has become a safe haven for liars, for thieves, for murderers, for violent people, because they are prominent people in society, that is also an issue. Because our ethics should be driven by the word of God. And there's a lot of compromise in the church of God right now. There's a lot of compromise. In fact, as far as I'm concerned right now, if I look at the, the church of Jesus, the Pentecostal church of God in southern Nigeria right now, it's exactly like the church I was raised in, the Orthodox church as I was raised in. Because in those churches then, um, all that mattered was you come to church, you're a member, you pay your dues, you show up on Sunday, you know, you wear your nice clothes, you're a good citizen. Nobody really cared about how many wives you had, you know, whether you were molesting your children at home, so long as you kept it out of the public space. Nobody really cared about whether, you know, you were a politician and you killed somebody before you got your candidate. You know, no, nobody really went into all those things. They pretended it was like a don't ask, don't tell kind of thing. You know, there wasn't any, they would preach all the nice things on Sunday, you know, but then there was no enforcement of a way of living. And they pretended as if they didn't know, particularly if you were somebody who was very prominent in society. Honestly, there were certain discussions that were never had. And that is not scriptural. And there is no scriptural at all. Let's just put it like that. So as far as I'm concerned, a lot of the Pentecostal churches right now in southern Nigeria have reverted to that same model. I don't think we have any moral ground anymore to claim that we are better than those churches that we call orthodox churches. That's my view. I don't, in fact, I would even say that in some of those churches, like maybe in the Baptist Convention, to some extent, maybe Methodist and some parts of the Anglican Church, I actually see much more, um, how would I say, teaching from the pulpit targeted at addressing these social ills and making people pull away from things and behaviors that are really very contrary to the spirit of Christ. I actually, I mean, even me that I'm not in those congregations, I, I hear those sermons because every time we those sermons are preached, you always find people seeding it into social media because it has become so strange. It has become so odd for people to hear these sermons that now it, it is very common for me to see a preaching from an Anglican um, um, bishop in the East or, you know, a bishop in Abuja. If, those are the voices that we're hearing now because the voices in mainstream Pentecostal circles, they are pretending as if they do not see all the social ills that are going on. They are providing a safe space by their silence, by their careful preaching. They're providing a safe space for people who are really not Christian. Why this is the case, I don't know. Or even if they're Christians, they're not behaving like Christians and they're yielding themselves as vessels of wrath unto destruction. So why this is the case, I don't know. And I, I'm not the only one who has observed this. Many people have observed this. I see people coming out, writing about it on social media. But because we're very, we're people who have a strong tradition of respect for, you know, the institution of the church of God and the, you know, the people and the leaders that God has, or rather that are put in leadership in those places, we find it very difficult to engage with these things. But I think personally, when I saw how the election season went and the silence from the church of God, and the tacit complicity and support in some sections of people who are who self-identify as Christians. And I realize that the time has come for us to not to have an open and honest conversation about ourselves. And this is a family conversation. This is something that should happen. If it cannot happen within the churches, it should happen amongst brethren. 
you know we, should, we need to be able to talk to ourselves and the bible says it but the bible says judgment must begin in the house of god judgment doesn't necessarily have to be god sending angel of destruction but it's we are we judging ourselves by the word of god and saying look this this should not be this way so even if like i said there's no formal way to address certain things i think in our own spaces as christians you know those little fellowships that we we live in and that we inhabit or that we convene together let us find a way to 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 reaffirm what the bible says about who we should be and who we are not so that you know perchance we ourselves will be saved and we will not be deceived by that which should not be and we will not find ourselves when god comes he will not tell us depart from me i never knew you workers of iniquity one thing that i like about god and his word is that it's the same god doesn't change his word it's unchanging so i don't have to be confused when i see people doing anything that is contrary to the word of god god has empowered us to be able to say if anybody even paul said this if anybody comes to preach another gospel that is different from that which i have presented preached he said even if i come again tomorrow and i say something different set me aside follow the word of god this is the testimony the unchanging testimony that we have so um exodus 34 verse 6 to 7 so god was then describing himself and he says the lord god merciful and gracious long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth keeping mercy for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin and he will by no means clear the guilty he visits the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation I think this reads, I can read it, I think I'm, I wanted to read it in King James Version, I'm not sure that's the version that I read, but regardless, what he says is that God, it starts off by saying God is gracious, God is merciful, let me, let me look for it in um, English Standard Version, but what you see very clearly in that scripture is how on one side, it shows you the mercy of God, he's gracious, he's slow to, um, to anger, he's compassionate, he's this and that. Then he now says, okay, yes, the Lord, the Lord is a merciful God. He's slow to anger. He abounds in steadfast love and faithfulness. He keeps steadfast love for thousands. He, go, he forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. But he will by no means clear the guilty. So God is merciful. He is also just. He's a God of justice. The Bible says here, in this same verse, where he was talking about he's slow to anger, he's abundant, he's merciful, he's gracious. It says he, he visits the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. My interpretation of that is that there are consequences for sin. And we see this everywhere in the Bible. In fact, there's a scripture that says God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will surely reap. That if you, if you sow to your flesh corruption, um, slow, sow sin to your flesh. You will of that same seed reap corruption. But if you sow life, you will of that seed also reap life. God is not mocked. I mean, for me, a typical case of that is when David sinned with Bathsheba, and then you know she, she had a son. He married. He killed the, um, Bathsheba's husband, and then married her. And then they had a son. She was pregnant. He had a son. And then God told him that that son is going to die. You know, and everything. In fact, he. And then David went into prayer and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. But God forgave him, but he didn't save the son. The consequence of that sin needed to be punished. And you know, he's and there's so many other things that are when Moses also disobeyed God, God said, Okay, it's good, you're my servant, you're my prophet, but you're not going to enter into the kingdom. You will see it. In fact, he told him to go up to a mountain and look at the land. 
he made him sit. Look at it. But then you're not entering in. So there was a consequence to Moses. And it's funny because Moses was still very much a great prophet of God. God still was with him till the end. He handed over the anointing that was upon him. He handed it over to Joshua. Joshua went in and possessed the land. Everything that Moses had spoken of that God um, gave, received by, that he, you know, that he received of God. God stayed close to that law. God, God was faithful to the law of Moses. Even Jesus came and referred to the law of Moses, to, you know. So God never, you know, like struck Moses out or whatever, but he allowed Moses to suffer the consequences of his disobedience. That's how God operates. So for me, when I see this kind of lackadaisical Christianity that we're practicing where we think that we can do whatever we like, but God's mercy will abound, it is not scriptural. It is, this is how God described himself. And like I said, this passage, like my uh, professor said, like my seminary teacher said, this is the most quoted passage of the Bible. So it is. this is God self-identifying. You know, it's one thing for me to say, for you know, to say this is how God is, but this is God describing himself. It is instructive that he describes himself first and foremost as merciful, as gracious, as slow to anger. And abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's wonderful. He keeps steadfast love for thousands. He forgives. I mean, we've preached so much about that. We've preached this message of forgiveness, mercy, love, slow. We've preached it. So I think everybody gets it. In fact, every the, that is what we rest on more than anything. But there's a but. He says, and that but is a very important but. Because that same God that is merciful... That same God that is slow to anger will not hesitate to throw a sinner into into hell. Will not hesitate to exercise the judgment that is written upon the heathen. He will not hesitate because he's no respecter of persons. And he created an ordered universe. And we see it even in the way the the world works. Every action has consequences. I mean, for instance, like I've been trying to grow my hair for a very long time. And I realized that I was struggling with this until I started watching some um, videos and I realized that for people who, for my kind of hair, which is 4C black African hair, it is better when you do protective styles and you leave it for a very long time. I noticed that a lot of people who really grew their hair really long had a habit of leaving it, just leaving the hair for like two months, three months, sometimes four, five, six months at a stretch in a particular style, as in they would have a protective style done and they would keep it. Those people had a lot of length so I found out that my constant tampering with my hair was affecting its growth even though it was growing it wasn't growing as fast and as well as it should have so and it's this is something I probably knew when I was younger but I've lost sense of it but so this year I decided to start leaving it more so I left it three weeks first at the stretch then four then five and six weeks and I've seen the difference in the growth what I have not yet been able to do is to leave it for longer than that so I have seen how my actions, both in tampering with the hair every week, always, in fact, the time I, I'm touching it at least twice a week, how it inhibited the growth, and then how my not touching the hair, leaving it in for weeks and months, also impacted on the growth, both in a positive and negative way. And that's how God has made this world. 
in everything we do cooking education learning relationships actions have consequences cause and effect there is nothing in this world that we see that doesn't have a cause and effect relationship you see people who are successful today there is a period when they were learning you know i'm an i'm an olympic medalist there's a period of training there's a period of you know of meditation there's a period of growth there's a period of physical stress mental um, resilience you know health so many things what you see is the, what we see often is the fruits but there's a whole cause um how would i say relationship and preparedness so in the same way god is not mocked we cannot be doing things that are contrary to his will and then be expecting that somehow it will work out for good in our behalf without us suffering punishment even if it works out for our good in that working out there will be punishment you know there will be consequences for the wrong things that we're doing so i'm i'll just leave it at that because i think the lord has said what he wants to say and i pray that this words get to as many people as much as possible and that most importantly in my heart in your heart in our hearts it actually yields fruit and forces us enables us empowers us encourages us nurtures us and enables us to live a life that is truly worthy of him in spirit and in truth and that we begin to model these attributes that god himself has that as we have received mercy so we'll be merciful to others as we have received the grace of God, so we will walk in that grace. As he is slow to anger, so shall we be. As he is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, so shall we be to him and to the people of God around us and to the communities of humanities around us. So that we will not be, rather than be recipients of the wrath of God, we will be recipients of his grace and the fruits of his mercy. In Jesus' name. Thank you very much for listening. God bless you. Stay later. And have a wonderful day in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.